0: Welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Schaptaugh, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman, Birds on the Black, at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We are recording this as the Cardinals are hopefully finishing off a win against the Cubs. They're up 7-3 to three in the top of the eighth, and looks like they're putting some more runners on, which has been a, a good, nice thing to see most of the night. Um, but before we get into that, before we get into what happens this week and all the, and the situations around it, um, we have to start with the fact that uh, Hall of Famer, Cardinal Hall of Famer, Cardinal legend Lou Brock passed away this afternoon, age of 81. Of course, Lou has had health problems over the last couple of years. But still, Tara, I mean, it's it's hard when uh, when you see a legend and you're not going to see him again.
1: Yeah, it's always an interesting set of emotions for me when someone of that stature in something that I care about passes away, and it, I think it's because there's this this juxtaposition of feelings of like I don't know this person, why do I feel this strongly about it, and then also recognizing the significance of that person and and their. Uh, their part in these shared experiences that we all have and you know when you watch somebody or you hear about somebody or you know they're part of your history you feel like you know them even if you don't know them personally and to not see him around in all of those opportunities to have those cardinals legends together is is definitely going to be a whole much like there was you know in in recent years with red or or Before that was Stan or, you know, anytime one of those kind of fathers of Cardinals baseball is in its current form, um, you know, is not there anymore. There's there's a hole and people feel it. And, you know, I think the thing that seems so special about Lou, again, you know, not only do I not know him, but that wasn't really my generation of watching the game. But you see the way that people react to someone and the way that they speak of someone. I think in kind of current terms of Adam Wainwright and the fact that everyone speaks so glowingly of who he was as a competitor uh, and and who he was or is in terms of, of Wainwright, um, you know, off the field as well. And it seems to be the case with Lou that there is so much positive reinforcement of who he was and how he impacted players. I, I just retweeted a little while ago uh Albert Pools with a, a long thread uh explaining the impact that Lou had on him coming to St. Louis and and what he taught through just his actions and his presence around the game. And that's what's so special about the the story of someone like that. And it really shows you the impact that someone can have. You know, we talk so much these days about athletes and, and where the line is about how they should be involved in something other than sport. But the mm. reality is they have such an influence and such a circle of impact. And you see that in the life of someone like Lou. So obviously we'll be missed in all of those moments in St. Louis, certainly even more so for his family and friends who did know him personally. But it just is such a reminder of the impact that one person's life can have on so many
0: absolutely absolutely and i mean you know that's that was reinforced i think a lot this last couple of weeks you know of course that's the quote from from jackie robinson um Mm -hmm. that's in that vein and of course with chadwick boseman passing away there was a lot of that as well um but yeah we're losing it's not surprising i mean the cardinal this you know lou was 81 when red passed he was over 90 you know stand the same way um when I don't know how I want to phrase this. We lose, these guys were like larger than life for somewhat, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, there wasn't necessarily a connection because they were these people that you put up on the pedestal because you didn't see them play, but you knew that they were, were legendary. Is that going to be the same way with, you know, current Cardinals, do you think? For the generations that come up two or three from us, you know, when Adam Wainwright's 75, are people going to have that kind of still reverence, or is, or is this a different? Are we different people now?
1: I do think it's different. I think the the emotional connection to the game is different for a lot of people. Mm. I think that the sort of local element of a guy who invested in the community is not always the same now. I think we do see that with the Adam Wainwrights and I think we've heard Jack Flaherty talk about how he's realized he should be more involved locally in the community in St. Louis and in, in impacting lives in that way. I think that there is though a difference in, I kind of said, you know, the, the, the founding fathers of, Mm -hmm. of current Cardinals baseball. I think that was such an era that stands on its own and you see that in the way that people talk about the teams from kind of that generation of players and how that era in St. Louis baseball kind of still defines what you expect out of St. Louis teams. So I think there is a little bit of a difference just in that sense that, that I don't know that, the Cardinals, it's interesting, I'm just thinking this through as I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. We've talked for a number of years about the Cardinals struggling to figure out what their identity is with yeah. this group of players. There was no question what the identity was of the team in the Lubrock era. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you know, we. I tend to talk about it as if it's as if it's this you know extraordinarily distant past it wasn't that long ago but they knew who they were they knew how they could win and it didn't matter if anybody else was doing it that same way i don't know that we have that same kind of stamp of identity on the current or even you know the last i don't know 5 to 8 years of of cardinals baseball i think the the 2000s version of the cardinals probably had some sense of that identity but maybe not in the sense of legends in the sport rather than just legends in the organization. And that plays a little bit of a different role as well. I mean, Lou Brock is a legend in the sport, not just in St. Louis. And I don't, I think probably Yadier Molina is that caliber influence, that caliber impact. Certainly Albert Pujols would have been, and and still will be in in some regard, but not in the same way as, uh, you know, if he would have stayed in St. Louis and that legend and that, that legacy would have just built from there. So, it's an interesting question. I don't know that that was a really good answer because I'm just sort of processing it out loud. But, um, you know, I think there are those who will have that kind of emotional connection to the city of St. Louis. Um, but if it's as wide and as well known as the Lou Brock's and the Red Shandies and the Stan Usuals of the world, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see that same kind of reaction by the time, you know, we're another couple decades down the road. Yeah,
0: and I think one of the things is, and I think it goes back to what you are saying there and, and what we have talked about a little bit in somewhat over the last few years of, of not having that star player, that top-notch mm, yeah. caliber player is, you know, if you kind of start thinking about the Cardinals, Mount Rushmore, and obviously it's different for different people, but you kind of start thinking, you know, Stan, who was the, you know, one of the best hitters of all time. You have Bob Gibson, who was one of the best pitchers of all time. Mm -hmm. Then you have Ozzie Smith, one of the best defenders of all time. Uh, And then you had Lou Brock, who was one of the best base dealers of all time. Um, You know, except for Albert and except for Yachty, like you said, who, who could be considered one of the best at, you know, Yachty's one of the best catchers of all time. Albert, again, one of the best hitters of all time. There's not been that. You're right. There's there's guys like Adam Wainwright and Chris Carpenter that are going to have a huge impact locally, but isn't quite the same as making that kind of mark on the sport as a whole. Um, you know, and maybe some, you know, maybe there'll be a few more of that. It's also harder to do now. There's 30 teams. Yeah. It's spread out. Baseball's different than it was. Well, um, and
1: that in and of itself is almost the identity of this era of the Cardinals, is that they're yeah. That mid-market team that grows their own talent and doesn't have the top-tier superstars—they have the Jeremy Hazelbakers and the Brad Millers and the you know the the guys who come up and opponents go, who, where'd this guy come from? And they're suddenly the the superstars of a postseason run. So that's kind of the nature of who this this version of the Cardinals has been. So you don't have that. You don't have kind of the best in the game caliber players almost on purpose, for better or worse. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it, it is going to be different as these. There's. It feels like there's a difference. Obviously, there is somewhat. Um, but when you have the red jackets out there, you know there's a difference mm-hmm. between Bob Gibson or Olu Brock and even a Jim Edmonds and a Chris Carpenter, as great as they were, and as much as we love those guys, there's still that different, you know and yeah. part of it is being in the in the hall of fame and versus the just the cardinal hall of fame but you know i you know and I, maybe it's not different for some but even ted simmons is that type of thing you know he's he's even a hall of famer but he's not a hall of famer you know <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess if you want to yeah. put it that way um and so it's going to be interesting to see as those guys pass and i guess really i mean you're really looking at gibson as kind of one of the last holdouts plus aussie um, who's a little bit later on a different generation um, as they kind of, you know, move off the stage as it were who, who takes their place, if anybody, or if there's starts to be feel a little bit of a gap um, in that, I don't know. It, it's going to be something interesting to see. Um, well, let's move on to happier news, which is what the Cardinals have been doing, um, especially this weekend against the Cubs um, uh, lost a, game on, on Friday night that was well, really not much you could do against you Darvish that night, but sweep the doubleheader, have a four-run lead here in the eighth inning. Um this is what they needed to do, right? I mean if you want to have a chance at the division, you had to play well this weekend and they've risen to that challenge.
1: Absolutely. I think that anytime you can put yourself in a position to win the series And then have a game Mm left, you're going to feel pretty good about what you accomplished, whether you win or lose that last game. Now, clearly, we're in the bottom of the eighth inning in this one. The Cardinals up by five runs. That does not mean they've won this game yet. (laughs) They have not won the series by any stretch of the imagination. But they have looked like a team that was capable of beating the best team so far in the division. And... You know, I think that's what I saw more than anything. And we talked about this a little bit after that first series with the Cubs, after the layoff, that it, even though they didn't win that series, they were in it every moment, every pitch. It didn't seem like they were you know, clearly overmatched by anyone or anything. Now you diverge pitching like you did anyone in baseball would have been overmatched by, by what he had that night. Uh, But to see the Cardinals rebound from that, take both of the games in the doubleheader, and take them after not getting uh, the outing they expected from Jack Flaherty and to still manage that, to see Adam Wainwright again, step up and go deep into the game to save the bullpen as much as possible And to see the offense not necessarily tear the cover off the ball, but just kind of keep chipping away and score in multiple innings, score in multiple ways, get contributions up and down the lineup and come back after they got down by a few runs. I mean, there's just all those things you want offensively we've seen in the last couple of days. So it's impossible still, I think, to take anything as far as what we saw this weekend and project it forward for the Cardinals. But in this moment, looking at this team kind of pitch for pitch, player for player against the Cubs, it stacks up. And and I don't know that we would have expected that coming off of the quarantine situation.
0: Yeah. And I mean, again, you, you look at the Cubs, they're like, what, three or four games under 500 since their 13-3 and three run mm-hmm. to start the season. They've got their own issues. We we know how much everybody has been salivating to get into the Cubs bullpen. Um, pretty much any time, um, you know, there are there are issues. I don't know that the Cubs are, are any. Just because you can beat the Cubs doesn't mean you're necessarily one of the best teams in baseball. But you've got to beat the Cubs if you're going to win the division, and that's what the Cardinals want to do. Um, and a bad weekend here, even losing the series, even going, you know, two uh, just winning two of five. I think, put you in a pretty good-sized hole, even with a lot of games against, you know, well, the whole complete season series against the Brewers, um, plus the Pirates and Reds are still on the schedule. You know, there's still a lot of ground. But uh, to go at leave Chicago, assuming they win tonight, at worst, a game and a half out, you, you like your chances there. Um, and, and like you said, they've proven that they can play. Now, it also feels like this Cardinal team – can play with anybody on a given night, whether that's the Dodgers or the pirates, um, because they seem to play. Uh, you just don't necessarily know which team's going to show up, but as of right now, some unusual suspects, I guess are kind of chipping in. And one of those is Harrison Bader when he gets a chance to play. And we can talk about this whole outfield situation, which but we should hear in a little bit, but it feels like over the last I mean, a couple of weeks, Harrison Bader's, figured something out and whether it'll hold or not I don't know but it, it looks good
1: yeah I'm very curious to see I wish I could see into the future of what Harrison Bader becomes because I have said for a while and have at times looked very foolish in saying it that I don't know that I think Harrison Bader is the everyday center fielder I think that the consistent extended playing time sometimes leads to consistent and extended slumps from him. I don't know if he gets overexposed and guys figure out where they can beat him or if he gets... I I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is that is in kind of the mind game of Harrison Bader um, not being able to do what we've seen in the last couple of days on a, a more consistent basis. And look nobody's super consistent in this game right 3 out of 10 mm-hmm. is what you're you're hoping for but the kind of prolonged absolute vacancies from Harrison Bader at the plate, are just not acceptable on an everyday basis unless the rest of the lineup is absolutely crushing it, and then you can make that sacrifice for the sake of the defense. But he's in a weird mix with this outfield right now, as you mentioned, and they're still trying to figure it out, especially now that Dexter Fowler is out for an undetermined amount of time there are guys out there who have not performed particularly well. And Mm -hmm. when given the opportunity, they look good at times and then they look absolutely terrible at times. So trying to figure out what the right mix out there is right now, I don't envy Mike Schilt, but as far as Harrison Bader is concerned, it's great. He's fun to watch and he's great to have in the lineup when he's, he looks like he does right now.
0: Uh,
1: But the problem with Harrison Bader is that this is the, anomaly not the norm and how you flip that script and either make this the norm or you know find some happy medium for the interim or you limit his playing time so that this is more of what he gets when he plays as opposed to dealing with the the mind games of those longer slumps i, I don't know i it's so frustrating because he does have that ability to be a game changer but he shouldn't be the guy that you're putting the entire offense on as far as his shoulders being the one to carry the team. And I think sometimes he feels that way when he's struggling as he tends to do. So uh, the what what I will say is I don't think that the appropriate mix of Harrison Bader and anyone else is... Him just absolutely dising- disappearing for you know, a week and a half. I don't think that's particularly helpful. But, you know, at least uh, props to him for taking advantage of the the starts that he has gotten this week. And good luck to Mike Schultz in finding the correct balance of Harrison Bader and all those other outfielders that no one's really stepped in. And, and that's the thing. No one stepped in and forced his hand. No right. one has played so well that he goes, oh, well, there's our everyday guy. And so then he's kind of just guessing at who's going to be performing best that on any given day.
0: Yeah. I mean, you look at Harrison Bader right now hitting 240 and you think... Well, one, I think you think if he could hit 240 with this occasional pop and stuff, you're probably fine with it, especially at the bottom of the lineup. And the idea of putting getting him on a little bit in front of Colton Wong, and there's a lot of, of possibilities there. But you also wouldn't like to think that that 240 average is the best that the outfielders have. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, with Dexter Fowler sitting on the bench, and who would have thought, even last year, but especially two years ago, that we would be missing um, Dexter Fowler uh, from this lineup? um but without who was dexter who was having quite quite a year um you've got you know tyler o'neill who continues to flash a little bit but really does a lot less than that it's kind of like you know the occasional lightning strike um and then you have to wait 30 minutes and and see if something else happens (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: um
0: you've got uh lane thomas who has a bit of a of an excuse because he's just now coming back from the the covid layoff but still hasn't again there's still there's moments but there's not enough of them and then there's Dylan Carlson who has started off and it started to look like he had gotten his feet under his, with a, a little bit of a little small six game hitting streak but since then has has kind of cratered again and then has played You know, there was a couple of days off before, I think, the Cubs series. Um, You know, he's not playing again tonight. Um, what, What do you make of Dylan Carlson right now?
1: My biggest take, I guess, on Dylan Carlson is that this is what you tend to see when a guy moves up a level in the minor leagues, right? They're absolutely owning pitching at a lower level. They move up and whether it's the difference in the pitching, whether it's the difference in the game planning that assists the pitching, whether it's the weight of the moment, whether it is the pressure or the expectation or whatever it is, sometimes a guy will move up and you think, oh, he's absolutely ready for this. And then he gets there and realizes, oh, I still have to like, I have to continue adjusting. Yes. I, I, I don't get to just stay who I was at AAA. <laughs> I have to keep adjusting to the guys who are now capable of, of adjusting to me. I think initially there was a lot of pressure. I think the number of opportunities to drive in runs with the bases loaded and then missing them, I think there's – there's I can't imagine a scenario where that doesn't get to a young guy and then you kind of just compound all of those pieces of the puzzle. He he looks like he's just so in his own way that he's not able to do what he has done at every level thus far. Um, I don't know how you fix that. I don't know that as much as you know we like to kind of criticize the Jeff Albert method for what it has not done. One thing I don't know that we've talked a whole lot about is kind of the the mental side of that. I mean, he's the strategist, right? He's the guy mm-hmm. who can break it down and say, okay, here's what the analytics say. Here's where, where you need to make a change. Here's how you can do that. I don't know how much uh, conversation there is around the mind game of applying that theory. And for a young guy, when I talk to a lot of young minor leaguers, they basically say, a lot of them say that there's so much information that too much of it creates a huge block mentally because you can't get away from all the information or all the expectation or all the the translation of the data or whatever it is. So uh, that that's all, you know, from the outside looking in, trying to f- figure out something <laughs> that might be getting in the way of Dylan Carlson being what everyone expects him to be. And I just wonder if there's just there's too many new voices or too much new information or something that coupled with all of that pressure of opportunity after opportunity and failing to come through just has him really out of his comfort zone in a way that he never has been before.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And, you know, again, it was a weird season for him, too. I mean, he's you know, he spent a a good chunk of time. You know everybody s- sat out for a while then he did not even come up until after the COVID issue so you know what you know he would not exactly gotten into a rhythm and he's not necessarily <laughs> been able to in in st louis even though they did play him pretty much every day for a while so yeah i, I think you're right i think that's fair to to think about all this kind of overwhelming him and maybe he's just like i'm going to get through september and then you know this off season we can you know sit down and kind of process what happened and and Come back strong for next year. I mean, you look at, and I wrote about this a, a long time ago when they called him up, but you look at what Mike Trout did his first, you know, little bit of a season in what I think it was 2011, came up for 40, 50, 40 games maybe or something and, and didn't do well. And the yeah. next year became Mike Trout. Um, so I'm not saying that Dylan Carlson's going to become Mike Trout, but uh, if he wants to, that's fine. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm okay yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, it's just, maybe he'll be the the player that we thought he would be um, next year after he's had a little bit of time to understand the league. And, you know, it just takes a bit of time for people to adjust to this. So um, we see people like Fernando Testis Jr. and Juan Soto and some of these young guys, and we just think, well, you know, if they're stars, they're going to be stars from day one. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, yeah. But anyway, so we've also got this fact that we've got all these outfielders and the, probably the one that's getting the most consistent playing time is Tommy Edmond, Um, <laughs> and not that Tommy Edmond doesn't deserve to play. I don't think that that's, I think right now, given the way everybody else is going too, I understand that. But when Matt Carpenter is struggling so much, mm-hmm. um, I I, You know, again, I know know your feelings about putting Brett Miller at third base. Um, (laughs) And so he's going to DH, obviously. But it does feel like, is there a time coming when we'll see Edmund play a lot more of the third and and Matt Carpenter be that, you know, occasional DH, more of a bench guy?
1: I wish that I didn't feel this way, but I think they kind of have to. Mm -hmm. I think... You can only go so long saying, well, Matt Carpenter is going to be like he used to be when he gets further and further from what he used to be instead of closer and closer. No one likes that. No one wants that to be the case. No one is, you know, standing in that clubhouse going, ah, yeah, well, this is this is this is just how it goes, Matt. You know, you got to just got to just deal with it and and move on with your life because that feels really harsh. But this is a team that doesn't have a lot of leeway. They don't have a lot of wiggle room. We keep saying that over and over again, not only in this season, but kind of in the way their raw talent stacks up against other raw talent in baseball. So there's just not a lot of leverage that Matt Carpenter still has. He's not taking walks like he used to. He doesn't have kind of that impeccable eye that he used to. He isn't able to... Work around the shift as much as he'd like to. And he doesn't really seem to have that power stroke that he did at times either. So, whether that's a matter of him finding something and getting it back eventually, or if it's just this is the downturn of Matt Carpenter, I don't know that you really can let go that long. Uh, let me rephrase that. I don't know that you really should go that long with this expectation of Matt Carpenter as being part of that anchor of your offense now the thing that Mike Schulte does that his predecessor also tended to do was give a lot of leeway to veterans in their playing time and their you know sort of opportunity to correct course that's why you end up with Tommy had been playing left field and Brad Miller as the DH because that seems like the best option without rocking the boat too much on the Matt Carpenter front. Now, I think we saw last year, there were times where Matt Carpenter basically pulled himself out of the lineup and said, I'm, I, I'm not it. I'm not your guy right now. But I think there's also that balance for him personally of, I want to figure it out. And the only way I can figure it out is to be in the game. But what happens if he doesn't figure it out? and that's kind of the question that they have to find a way to answer and i don't think they're going to like it
0: no and it's i think it's telling that john mozey lot kind of signaled that this week when he said look back in 2018 he had exit velocity he had you know expected batting average he had all these ever you know underlying metrics that said he's going to be fine and sure he turned out to be more than fine um, those aren't there now He's not hitting the ball hard. He's not, you know, not really hitting into bad luck. He's just not hitting. Um, And you look at the fact that he's got to have so many at-bats over the two years, but especially more of them next year, um, to vest an option for the year after. um, It's just, I mean, there's going to have to be a time where they have to ease up on him. If not only for financial reasons, mm-hmm. um, and you might as well start that now. I mean, in a season like this, you've got to you've got to put everybody out there that you that can be successful. And obviously, there are times when Matt Carpenter can still be successful. He was the only person that figured out you Darvish. you um, Darvish might have thrown an all hitter with, without Matt Carpenter, um, but it feels like it's going to have to be a pretty judicious time when you are going to be playing him um, instead of just penciling him into the lineup just about every day. Um, But yeah, you're right. It it remains to be seen if Mike Schultz will do that um, because it does feel like he does defer to the veterans a bit, Um, which while we're talking about deferring to veterans, can we talk about the fact that and Molina did not play both games of a (laughs) doubleheader when Andrew Kisner got sit down? Um, But when Andrew Kisner's on the, the roster, he doesn't play, he played both games. The, of course, you know Mac Leader still doesn't have a hit this year, so <laughs> maybe that's part of it. It, it. I don't know. That just that just struck weird. You know, uh, maybe it had yeah. more to do with the fact that there's you know, eight hundred double headers coming up, but the fact that Yachty was all gung ho about playing the one against the Pirates and didn't really seem to say anything about this one, it it, it kind of sent some. Uh, some people in the conspiracy theory side of things.
1: It certainly did. And who knows? Maybe there's truth to that. I would also just say that was way closer to after Yachty had been off for like a month. So the, the rest wasn't really an issue at that point for that doubleheader as it might be here going down the stretch. So uh, there's definitely something odd about it. I guess um, I, I tend to not jump to the conspiracy immediately, <laughs> uh, especially when there is some semblance of well, maybe he 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 was just coming off of that rest, so he didn't necessarily need the day off. But there's there's no doubt. I was on a, a guest on a podcast today that uh, they were asking about Yadi or Melina, and I basically said the the real uh, kind of hidden context in St. Louis is that Mike Schilt is the manager, but Yadier Molina runs the team. Mm -hmm. And we all know that we've all talked about that. We've joked about it. And to some extent, I think there's some real truth to Yachty kind of does what he wants and everyone else figures it out around that. And when you're as good as he is and you have been around as long as he has, I think a lot of people trust your judgment. So you can kind of pull some of that off. I think the questions continue to remain about how viable he'll be as a starting option beyond this season should they come to some sort of arrangement to keep him in St. Louis and how much he will be willing to at times take a step back and let Mm -hmm. someone else catch some games. And the indication appears in a situation like this that, you know, even if the Cardinals were to sign him to another contract they're going to be up against this same battle with anyone in their minor league system that isn't going to get a shot to even just get established in the sense of it doesn't feel like a huge step backwards just from an experience standpoint to have someone else catch now and then so maybe I I don't know. I don't know about the whole he's afraid of Andrew Kisner thing, or he sees it as a threat or whatever it is. I I don't know about that. It's not really my, uh, (laughs) my MO to make those sorts of assumptions, but it's a conversation and it has been for the last, you know, three seasons, it seems like, and yet he's always found a way to make himself viable and, and useful and valuable in the lineup in pretty consistent ways. So uh, you know, extra base hits now and then might help his yeah. his uh, cause with the fans a little bit, but he's still been able to contribute to some big innings and some important games. And you know, I don't I don't watch Yadier Molina play and think, oh, he's such a liability. Mm. And I feel like there's that sort of angst among the fan base that kind of bothers me if I'm being totally honest. Um, This idea that Yadier Molina is just kind of a waste of a spot on the roster right now, which is a a huge exaggeration to the fact that he's an aging catcher, but he's been an aging catcher. Who's found a way to make himself less old (laughs) every (laughs) single year. And yeah, he has a lot of weight to throw around in the organization but I don't automatically think that's a bad thing. I do think that there has to be some some give and take a little bit though as they go forward. Whether it's this year and how many double headers he plays in both games of or you know beyond.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's fair. I did think it was interesting that we did see more of Tony Cruz under Yadi or Molina than we ever saw of Carson Kelly or Andrew <laughs> Kibshur. But that's not all Yadi's yeah. fault. I mean, yeah. Mike Schilt could have easily let. Andrew Kisner catch seventy or eighty percent of the games, and let Matt Wieters, you know, mm-hmm. catch the rest when Yachty was out, and he didn't. I mean, it was close to fifty fifty. Feels like, uh, without looking it up, feels like Wieters might have had just a smidgen more than that. Right. Um, it's not. It's not all Yachty's fault for that. Um, that said, I don't think Yachty likes the young pups coming up because it reminds him <laughs> to not be here. For the rest of, of forever, um, as it seems to be. And, I mean, you're right. That makes for an interesting offseason because what, I mean, there's got to become a point where you have to because Yadier Molina, as much as he may think, is not going to catch forever. And there is going to be a season where somebody besides Yadier Molina is, you know, catching this team. It would be nice to be able to transition to that instead of doing the, you know, slamming into the brick wall. Um, but for this year, you're right. I think, you know, Yachty's proven he can still hit. Um, he's proven to be still adept defensively. I feel like he's maybe not quite what he used to be. And maybe it's because he's a little bit tired from catching doubleheaders. Um, but it does feel like there's a few more balls that get past him that may not be his fault, but it just feels like that. Um, but he's definitely still better than didn't most of the catchers in the league and, and the, the the knowledge and the presence that he has behind the plate are, are huge because we mm-hmm. don't, I think you, you just, you trust that Yachty's going to call the right thing and maybe, you know, most of the time he does. So replacing that is harder, you know, replacing his bat replacing even his, you know, arm is one thing, but trying to replace how he navigates a game and the intuitiveness that he has, um, working with his pitchers, that's, that's a different thing. And it's not something you can really teach, which may be part of the problem too. Right. Uh, anything else you would like to talk about? Um, we've gone about our 30 minutes. The Cardinals just wrapped up their win against the Cubs. And so now sit a game and a half back. They run into Kyle Kendrick tomorrow. So that should be fun. Um, That's never
1: a fun day for the offense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but who knows? Maybe they can work some pitches, get into the bullpen. Uh, Juan Acevedo goes, if he can just avoid one of those big innings. And if the wind's not blowing out like crazy, I, I think we probably should get your opinion about the the, lead, the beginning of tonight's game. Um, because, and I'm not sure if you got a chance to see the very beginning, but uh, Colton Wong hit a, a fly ball that, or foul ball, that turned out to become fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hit the base and was out. That was that just kind of set the tone of like, this is going to be a weird game.
1: Yeah, I feel like that all the time at Wrigley. I was talking last night about every fly ball, every pop-up, everything in the air. I just kind of like, hold on for dear life because it seems like you never really know what's going to happen. There were a couple of fly balls whether they ended up fair or foul in yesterday's doubleheader where you know you could tell it got caught up in the wind and the fielder was tracking it tracking it tracking it and then had to make a last second you know sharp dive to get to wherever it ended up and that seems to be the norm at Wrigley so everything in play is a little bit of a mystery and you never quite know how things are going to go but um yeah you know I, I didn't actually see that play but i did hear that it was weird um yeah. and it just you know it's one of those things that that's that's the way it starts and you feel like oh good good this is <laughs> this is gonna be fun uh, but you know to come away with a win even in spite of a weird game i will take it for yep. sure
0: yep we definitely will and hopefully hopefully they can wind up some make some uh way of winning tomorrow It'll be a half game out when they leave instead of two and a half, I think I misspoke earlier, but still, um, you know, you'd like to like to see a win tomorrow. But if not, it's already been a successful weekend. Like you said, it's good to win the series before uh, you even finish it up. So
1: it's it's also good when you hit a home run that's so massive that it breaks all the an, the analysis machines. <laughs> They're like, I don't I don't know. It, it it's gone. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, uh, kudos what, with Paul Goldschmidt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I don't think he had a whole lot of wind help with that one. <laughs> I
1: don't think it needed any wind
0: yeah, help. <laughs> he definitely didn't need any wind help. Tommy Edmund, that's a different story. But, right. Uh, right. you know, uh, yeah, Paul Goldschmidt has been, well, pretty much what we thought Paul Goldschmidt was yeah. supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's nice to, to see. And if they can just put a little bit around him, um, who knows? Who knows? Cardinals get to uh, let's see they play the game to Cubs tomorrow they go back home for this weird doubleheader day off doubleheader bit um, and then um, I forget who they've got after that. I think it's uh, the Brewers?
1: Brewers coming up
0: for sure. That might be the time. <laughs> it I mean,
1: feels like well, uh, so it's like, the Reds, Reds and then the Brewers.
0: Okay, yeah, the Reds. So the, they got the Reds. So let's you know those, the, those doubleheaders against American League teams will be something, will be a little bit of variety um and we'll see how they do but um Mm -hmm. you know the cardinals have a favorable schedule the rest of the way and let's see if they can do it uh tara and i will be back next sunday we'll talk about the rest of this week this coming up week and hopefully maybe who knows we might be talking about the first place st louis cardinals so until then that's tara i'm daniel good night
1: hey cardinals fans thanks for listening to this week's show if you liked what you heard you can find us on itunes Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.